Welcome to the show. Great to be with you today, Paul George in studio. We got a full house today. Mr. Mr. Chad. Uncle Chad's back in town. Happy to be back. Deacon Adam Conk. I love the music you're starting out with, Adam. Summertime, man. It does feel like summertime. Like it's almost like I I need to be on the beach in Hawaii somewhere. What's official? I think the, uh, what is it, the equinox or the solstice or whatever happens in summer. It happened, so... Like the longest day of the year, like mm-hmm. type thing. So welcome to summer, officially. That already happened. I thought that was usually in July. But no, June twenty something. June so. twenty, so close to July. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, around July fourth. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So welcome, guys. To yeah. Summer. It's felt like summer for a lot longer than. Yeah, it's it it has been because it, it gets summer here early. Yeah. You know, like I, May. I would say it's not summer for like four weeks here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening in, whether on the radio, KLFT Radio 90.5 here in Acadiana, or on the podcast, wherever you are. So appreciate you being a part of the show. So, Chad, uh, before we got to uh, have you seen, okay, some good news, man. Like, give us some good – give Adam and I some good news. We've been stuck here in the studio. You were absent last week. You took some youth to a camp. And give us some good news about the church, about the young church. I mean, because, (laughs) you know, we can be a little bit cynical sometimes, a little bit. You you can be cynical. Hey, speak for yourself. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I took a group of teens to Cove Press last week, which is a a week-long camp that Life Teen puts on in Tiger, Georgia, which is um, north Georgia, northeast Georgia in the Appalachian Mountains. Beautiful place to be. Um, Yeah, man, we had a... A really good trip. Awesome. Very good trip. I mean, I, I got to see a lot of kids really dive into the like where they're at with God, and the week was on the Holy Spirit, so they got a lot of time to pray with the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit in, sit in adoration, encounter Christ, and I mean, He always changes lives, you know, whether we notice it or not, but it was a nice little grace to be able to notice and watch God move in a lot of these kids' hearts. There was one kid, man, that came in, and he was in his own world, mm. I swear to you, like, I don't know if you know people like that. Yeah, Just absolutely. not influenced by anybody else around them. Let's call him Brian. Brian. Brian was in his own world. Brian in his own world. And, and, and he was hilarious. In his own world, lived how he, you know, just did what he wanted to do, and super funny. But I watched him just like weep in adoration and and open up about his family life and what he's been going through for the last year. And, and it's a lot. It was heavy. It was heavy. But I got to watch him work in that, build some good friendships, like have people appreciate him for who he is, you know? And yeah, that was one of the most impactful ones for me to just watch God work. Cause I didn't, I expected him to come back and just like not be phased, you know? Yeah. Cause he's just so in his own world. Yeah. But, I think it's good to hear good news about the church, about what God's doing and continuing to do and move. I think oftentimes, you know, when we turn on the news and just the everyday, it's like, is there anything good happening? I mean, you can't really get on news network and it's not like there's any news network that's like, Hey, here's good news for the day. It's just all like all the negative, all the stuff that's happening. Not that it's, some of it's untrue. Some of it is true. Uh, but, you know, we 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 got to get out of that and just see like the good things that are happening in the world. So it's good, you know, to hear these stories. And I think for all of us, like just getting away to experience God, getting away at a camp or a retreat or a weekend and just removing ourselves from like the the craziness of everyday life is really important it is nice to to only think about god all day hmm. you know i mean not that i didn't have other little worries and like kids got sick and whatever else you know right. had people faint and things like not in adoration just faint because yeah it's hot yeah, yeah, yeah the, drink and and the altitude right yeah yeah 
So, I mean, there's other things I was worried about, but it's nice to think about God all day mm-hmm. and all week for yeah. a week. You know, it's just, it, it puts things into perspective again. Yeah. You know, and I think more and more in a modern day where we are, like in the culture and the church, I mean, I don't know if you guys would agree with this, is that, you know, doing any type of ministry or discipleship or youth ministry or young adult or adult, it, you really are a missionary in, in the church right now, you know, maybe in a small way, maybe you brought a small group up there, but you, you just, God used you as a missionary to bring the gospel to folks. And we need more and more people to respond in that way because the church needs us. The world needs people to respond to God and, and to just do his work. Yeah. That's why it's always good news for the church. Cause if the culture around us is collapsing and falling into paganism, what a great time to spread the gospel. This is where God shines <laughs> the most, man, well, yeah. is in is in pain, dis- destruction, despair. This is when, because God never changes. He's consistent, and he's not going anywhere. So when all this stuff, like if you look at just the history of our world and even the history of the church, Christianity over the past 2,000 years, the greatest move of the Holy Spirit in the church has been in times of total destruction, total despair, war, famine, persecution, and like that's when God's moved the most because everything's being, you know, pilled away in a sense, right? Yeah, hearts are being broken. Gives them some room to move in, you know? Mm. That's a, I'm right myself all the time when I'm like, I, I'll fear, I'll feel this like fear to evangelize or to like spread the good news or whatever else, you know? Like, and there's a person that I know, like, gosh, he just needs to hear it. He needs to know who God is. I'm like, ah, but what if he thinks I'm weird or whatever else, you know, like those little fears. I'm like, oh, wait, God changes hearts. God, God brings joy where there's no joy and God brings peace where there's no peace and God orders lives and, and he, like, it doesn't matter what he thinks of me, like what God can do in this guy's life or this girl's life will change them forever. So who am I to hold back, you know? Yeah, I love seeing God just, encounter someone like that and change their life even if it's i mean we all know that 10 years down the road that faith is going to hopefully develop and mature and struggle and all these things but it's kind of like falling in love with god again like you do with your spouse when there's certain moments in your marriage where you know you're just able to connect to that origin of your love for one another and for me when i see people get the gospel and decide to commit like through RCIA or through these camps or like youth ministry. It, to me, it's an opportunity to fall in love with God again. Cause it's, it makes me retouch in my origin, you know, like when God called me and, and, and I made that decision for Christ. And, um, so it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. I'm so happy for you, Chad. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's, it reminds me of, of why I've done youth ministry so long. I mean, it's been yeah. like, I mean, not as long as you guys, but it has been eight years since starting doing right. any kind of youth ministry. And, uh, yeah, it just reminds me why why I started, and yeah, it makes me love it. Well, know? it's a good way, uh, in a sense, this trip to end your youth ministry, in a sense, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, mission as you, you know, go into grad school for counseling. I think God's going to continue to use you as a missionary to bring his healing love and hope to yeah. folks who need counseling. And I think whether you want to or not, I think you're probably going to end up doing some good counseling work for for teenagers because of your experience, you know, so. and that God's going to use that. So we never know what God's going to use from our past moving ahead, you know, and that's, right. that's the, you know, the great thing about God. So it's great to just hear some good, good news <laughs> out there. Like just to, you know, I think a lot of people aren't experiencing God today 
in, in a way because we're just so busy and hectic and focused on the wrong things and, and it's loud and the internet and social media. But you're right, Adam, like even in marriage, like, you know, when, when you have ups and downs or things are hectic, you go back to those moments, those origins, those times to remember where you fell in love or you were reminded of your commitment and your covenant to your spouse, right? And, and it gets you through those moments where you're like, oh, this is kind of hard today. And the same as in our relationship with God, a lot of people just give up because they're like, oh, I just I haven't, I haven't felt God in a long time. Well, you go back to those moments of encounter, whether it be on a retreat or at mass or in prayer or in confession and be like, oh, I remember God was there in that moment. And it reminds you to get through today. Yeah. Well, I remember Jesus' parable about the, the seed and the paths, right? The plant that made it and yielded the fruit 1,600-fold, it was nothing about the plant. I mean, what does he say? The seed that fell on good soil. That is the foundation, the origin, the root, the um, encounter with God. Like this is what, where we draw strength from in our Christianity, where we bear our fruit. So it's not that, you know, we move on from these experiences and then become awesome plants. You know, like, oh, I'm past that. You know, I've, I've met God. I've given my life to Christ. No, it's a deepening of that soil of encounter with Jesus Christ that is the origin and it is the source of everything we do in our Christian walk. And it's those that are disconnected from that soil that will wither and fade, that will not bear the fruit, right? Well, yeah, disconnected. I mean, when I think about the soil, the reason the soil is good is because it's fertile, it's been worked, it's been tilled, and that comes from the outside. Like, it doesn't come from you doing it yourself, you know? It's a great point. So they're not disconnected from the soil as much as they're disconnected from the the farmer or the the tiller or the person taking care of that soil, the planter, you know? Awesome. Love the form analogies. All right. So since you, you were going, yeah, because you're I own ducks now, you know, yeah. <laughs> I can't help but He's think a about farmer. it. Yeah. So since you were going last week, we didn't really sure. have a, really have a have you seen. We right. kind of did, but I'm I mean, good. So, I, was, I was hoping that you didn't take the one I was going to use. Okay. So, week, so why don't we do a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? For real though. That's a pretty good one. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm buckled up. <laughs> you've, had, you. you've had like two or three weeks to think about this. Yeah. Yeah. So I, well, Okay, this guy was, I'm really not sure, I, I don't remember where he was from, but he was, uh, he does, his job is to fish for lobsters. Okay. Say fish for lobsters, whatever you call it. He deep dives and goes grab lobsters and sells them, I guess, to markets and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Well, a couple of weeks ago, he was doing this and went down and all of a sudden, everything around him turned black. Okay. Just all of a sudden, didn't know where he was at. In the ocean. Felt a lot of pain. Under the sea. Under the sea. He was like, was I just eaten by a shark? That's the, that was his first thought. Really? But he's like, like, I don't feel any teeth. Like Jonah and the whale. But he was in a whale. He got eaten. No. He got s- eaten by a humpback whale. No. Right in his mouth. Are you kidding me? Not kidding. Like me. just swallowed. Swallowed. And then, and then 30 seconds, 40 seconds passed, and then he was spit out. No. So he survived it. <laughs> he survived getting eaten <laughs> by a whale. I'm not kidding. You, you got to go, send me this article. You got to go look, look that up. You're, I, out of your face right now, it's dude, just it's like nuts. you're speechless, which is rare. Like you have nothing to say. Look, it's on NBC Boston. Okay. Massachusetts lobster diver survives after a humpback whale tried to eat me. Look that up. There's a video. He's an interview and everything. All he got was bruises. Was he stoned? Like, He's, is he making this up? Like, no. I mean, he has the bruises. They came pick him up. 
So you never saw it coming, and then all of a sudden everything dude, was black. All of a sudden, got eaten by a whale. I don't know how you don't notice a whale. <laughs> well, I mean, like, in the ocean, everything's pretty silent. I guess know? if it's pretty dark and what? Okay, just a little fact, and I gave a little bit of fact about boats last week, Adam. And you that was very helpful. Okay, actually, when a fish or a big fish, it doesn't matter when when they eat something and they open their mouth, it actually sucks in air like a like a vacuum cleaner. Wow. So. So you could be twenty feet away, and it would, and a, and it's a minnow. So a fish would open a bigger fish, and it would kind of suck that that fish towards you. So a whale, I can imagine. I don't know what the force is on that, but if he's it's opened up his mouth, intense. you could be far away, and it could kind of suck you in to it. So he he just got like pulled in like a vacuum, you know, which is kind of how fish eat. It, you know, it's not. You know, they attack when they open their mouth. It kind of, it's like a vacuum that sucks in. You wow. know, it reminded me of that scene from Finding Nemo when, like, Nemo and Dory mm-hmm. get yeah. eaten by the whale. And everybody knows that whales don't eat humans, you know. But but if you're in the path, they can't really stop Well, themselves. a lot of times when it's dark, like, fish will eat something because of vibration or because of a flash, you know. Right. And a lot of times when you hear about shark attacks, it's because they see a flash and they just they you know they go for it. They That's why I don't swim in my phone in the ocean. No, I don't Dude. swim in the ocean. <laughs> period. <laughs> so I think it, he said he was in Cape Cod. Yeah. So he was yeah. But okay, you know where I'm gonna go with the follow up question here. Okay, so if you could get swallowed by an animal and spit out, which one would it be? A whale is a pretty good choice. Actually, I had no idea that's where you were going. With the <laughs> no, that is not what I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> I had no clue. Um, I, I have no answer to it. I would. I would say a rhinoceros. To survive it, so you'd be like, a lion ate me and spit me no, out. thanks. Okay, maybe so. a lion's better. But, but I was just thinking mm-hmm. of um, that movie Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and there was that scene of... The, the rhino. <laughs> I kind of had that scene, that was all. I, that was all that came to me in yeah. the moment yeah. on the spot. Oh, rhino. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, how cool of a story, though, would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the whale is a pretty... Co- I mean, I think the whale is a pretty cool it's story. It's hard to top the whale story as far as animals it's that would modern, swallow you. Modern-day Jonah. I yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, this is what happened to Jonah. Like, he yeah. got swallowed by a whale, and if it's a huge whale, he just sat, and then it eventually spewed him out, right? Yeah. Like, he, he, he got out. They were like, he was like, I don't, you know, so I guess now he I know it can happen. It it can happen. That's crazy. Yeah. That I mean, he wild. did have, like, a, one of those scuba gear. You yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever it's called. But, yeah, crazy. And he, this is the second time he's avoided death. Wild story. I mean, he, he like, got in a plane crash 10 years before. And everybody, a bunch of people died, but he didn't die. Man. So this guy is just like being preserved for He's whatever reason. You know, that, that job just reminds me, you know, these aptitude tests that mm. you take in school and then they tell you what you ought to be. Yep. Like that would never be an option on the test. Like, oh, you're a lobster diver. Right. <laughs> right. Like God has so many plans for so many human beings. Like it's just, every life is an adventure. I mean, this guy ends up being a lobster diver, getting eaten by a whale. And even that doesn't surprise God. Like God knew this would all happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, God's really blessed him because now he's got a book deal. Yeah. Oh, for you sure. You know, he's got, you know, he's got a job forever because people are going to want to hire the guy who... He's going to be a local legend. Local legend. I mean, he's set for life. Yeah, that's never on aptitude test. Oh, you should become the person who almost gets eaten by a whale and then tells the story for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, that's not an option on the test. You, do you remember what you were... Like, what was your suggestion? No, I think I think like military related or something, which is probably like everybody's answer. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. It's the military's <laughs> way of like yeah. recruitment. They're on every aptitude test, right? Gosh. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's the, a pretty awesome. Have you seen Chad? 
See, that's Thanks. why we didn't even try last week. No, I was like, because Chad comes up. With, yeah. But yeah. I do have Good a source. little. I, I do have a little bit better one. Uh, okay. What? It's not a have you seen, but it is a weird Catholic stuff. Weird Catholic stuff. Weird. Yeah. Oh, so one. this one's crazy. I know we've been we you know been coming back with this uh, with this, but like you know the history of the church is wild, man. Like, and there's stuff that like we would we're never gonna know about. That's just wild. And then, of course, older things. There's some legend and some stories, you know, around it. But so, have you guys ever heard of Saint Christina Mirabilis? Nope. Nope. She was around in uh, 1150 to 1124. Okay. Maybe Mirabilis. Oh. I've heard 1150 to 1124. 1224. Sorry. 1224. Yeah, okay. yeah. 1150 to 1224. That My makes bad. more sense. Um, she she was. Uh, I mean, she's a saint, but says that she was a little mad, possessed, and and divinely touched worker of wonders. Okay. Um, <laughs> but here's here's how her story begins. Know, okay, so this like is that. this is a true saint. The church. Her story begins in earnest when she dies at the age of twenty one. Okay. And at her funeral mass. Okay, so there were witnesses there, and the priest that was doing her funeral mass. She revives and flies up to the roof until the priest orders her to come down. Get down from here. Yeah. <laughs> now, can you imagine you like being at a funeral and this happens? Where she relates her tour of hell, purgatory, and heaven. So during death, she experienced hell, purgatory, and heaven. Meeting God, she was given the chance to remain in heaven or return to earth as a victim soul to help those suffering torments in purgatory. So this this happened. So she okay. chose the latter option, which she chose to come back and help souls. So she experienced heaven and hell. And um, and this explains her astonishing wonder. So she lived as like this this crazy like hermit out in like the woods and trees and like she would throw herself in a furnace to continue to experience hell so she knew like the what sin was really like and then she would like tell people about it right. so she's like the spiritual version of the whale guy goodness gracious death swallowed her up yeah and spit her out totally and then she lived to tell about it he i guess he had the option to go back in the belly if he wanted to be like, <laughs> eat me again but uh that is weird catholic stuff she it was is. dead she was in her coffin and then flew up, came back to life. Like, I don't know. Like, are you ever, like, hesitant about stories like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. But she was a real person. Like, there's stories about her. So I don't know. Like, wow. I have, I have no idea. Where was she from? Do you know? Uh, she was, let's see, in her lifetime. Sounds like an Italian. Um, yeah, or Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll find out. But probably Italian. I mean, that was the yeah. time of... Um, Around the time of St. Thomas Aquinas and all them. And right. A lot of Catholic culture explosion, you know? And, uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's a crazy thing. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, not the dead part, but a lot of us have lived through, <laughs> through hell and, and heaven, you know? And, and I think that is part of a good evangelization story, like to be able to relate. Like, I know the depths of human suffering. And some of us, who maybe haven't gone through such a rough patch have a more difficult time relating on that level to people of, of like, I, I know what hell is, you know what I mean? Like I know what it means to live without God. I know what it means to suffer and, and, and I know what heaven is to be with God. And, and that's a part of it. I think any good conversion message. She has a lot of ways a mystic 
which there were a lot of saints that people thought were crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, spiritually, when someone's like extremely spiritual person, like a lot of times you think they're off their rocker because, you know, we just want everything to be clean and normal and not messy. And I don't know if it's always like that, but there is a book, The Life of Christina of St. Trand, Trond, written by a Dominican scholar, Thomas of Canterbury, eight years after her death from extensive interview with eyewitnesses. Hey, now. So in a sense, she was a little bit, okay. you know, like Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. where there was like people thought she was crazy, but yet she was like so emphatically sold out for Christ, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, you know, I think with Padre Pio, you know, levitating or bilocating or the stigmata, you know, like we, we kind of like question whether or not, but yet though there were eyewitnesses to it. And it's like some things you just can't explain. It's kind of crazy, you know, and I don't know. I think the Holy Spirit is going to move in <laughs> crazy ways and good ways. So yeah, it does make me take second looks at people that I think are crazy sometimes. <laughs> but I hear these stories and like, okay, what if what if they know something? Just I just don't know. You know. Well, and think about the good Catholics back in the day that didn't have good counseling or psychologists. Like, let's say, I mean, did we just not have mental disease? Of course, we had mental disease, mm-hmm. and and uh, and sometimes it's not just disease, but just you know the need for. Uh, good therapy or something to be able to cope with the world. So when you don't have access to this and you're a person of faith, what does God do with such a soul? Well, it's not like they can't become saints. It's not like they can't be elevated to the heights of prayer. In fact, sometimes their disconnection with the world can be an asset to their prayer life because they have no interest in the things of the world, um, like someone who's quote-unquote normal, right? Someone who's quote-unquote able to engage in the world around them. Well, if a person lacks a certain mental acuity or ability or normal functionality, quote-unquote, with the world around them, they could be primed for prayer, you know? And I think God yeah. has taken a lot of souls like that into into his heart because he loves them. Yeah, and some of these stories mm. are probably true. Some are, are maybe, like, you know, blown up. We have no idea, but there's some truth to it. And, you know, it's interesting, even today, like, we, we think about saints or current, like, you know, maybe religious who live in uh, cloistered orders who just pray. Mm-hmm. Like she, God put on her heart to pray for those who were suffering. And she experienced like intense earthly suffering to pray for those in purgatory and suffering. For us, we don't really understand that call because it's not what we're called to in, a, in, mm-hmm. in that, in that extreme way. Whereas like when someone enters like the convent and never comes out and they are sold on praying for souls and we think, wow, what's a waste of life. They're not doing it. They're just praying in there like there's there's a world out here that's hurting right that needs jesus and we don't know the fruit of their prayer inside those walls that they've dedicated their whole life of sacrifice to and that's the beauty of the way god moves in ways that we don't even know or see oftentimes all right we're going to take a break and we'll be right back the Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for listening in, being a part of the show, whether you're listening on the radio here at KLFT 90.5, Catholic Radio for KDN, or on the podcast, uh, wherever you are. So great to be with you. You've got a full house. The bus is packed today. Deacon, it's a packed bus. Deacon Good Adam. Bus. Almost said Deacon Chad and Uncle Adam. But um, no, you guys switch seats. So it's a little confusing. So we, it's great. Uh, how about um, St. Christina uh, the Marvelous? Marvelous. Yeah, yes. like the, the, her nickname is the Marvelous Christina. <laughs> Sounds like a magician. <laughs> Sounds like a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> they probably could do a Netflix series. Well, totally. I mean, Dante Alighieri's great poem is basically her life, right. like in a fictional way. Like he goes on this tour of hell. Per- I wonder if that was his inspiration. Never Maybe so. Mm. Especially, did you she find out if she's Italian later. or no? I uh, didn't. No. I mean, he would have known. He was familiar with all these old poets, and you know. Yeah, maybe went to mass one day, and the priest was like, "You ever heard of this saint? Yeah, heard of the Marabolus?" And he's like, "Man, I could make a book out of that." Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, the uh, it's a crazy story, and I think today, you know, if we could name holy people terrific and amazing, that'd be. Interesting. We usually call them pious. Are the great, yeah. The great, yeah. Like John Paul II, the marvelous. <laughs> John Paul the marvelous. The fantastic. I think that's probably a better name for him. Like, I mean, the great is good. The great is I mean, that's pretty. That's about as good as it gets for popes. Yeah. For any of the saints. Why don't we name the great? Why not the goat? <laughs> <laughs> I think he would enjoy that. St. JP2, the goat, which well, is greatest of all time. Just. Yeah. For those of you who are like, man, that was you know, you over really disrespectful. Over 50 yeah. years old. <laughs> but, um, but like, you know, the GOAT sort of acronym, you know, is greatest of all time. Yes. But I think Peter would probably take that role. Really? The first of all time. You're right. He is the first. Mary would be the greatest of all time. Greatest saint, yeah. Hands yeah, down. Yeah. Right. Speaking of, <gasps> by the way, have you guys read much about St. Cyril of Alexander? Alexandria, mm-hmm. which not Alexandria, Louisiana, for those that are might no. be confused. <laughs> no, because he was a saint in 378. Yes, so early, one of the church fathers, early. right? Church father, yeah. Yeah, he was a great. He could be considered a great um, saint, really great. But one of the things you know, he fought heresy in a sense, uh, small her- heresy or teaching uh, in regards to Mariology, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of his biggest contributions to. The councils, which it's interesting because, uh, it, you know, it says here, and I know you guys have probably read about it, is, um, you know, he was he was real big, you know, on doctrine and theology. That was his contribution. Um, but the controversy centered around the two natures of Christ. Um, Nestorius would not agree with the title of Mary being God-bearer. Uh, he preferred Christ-bearer. Um, because, you know, he was saying that Christ was both, you know, divine and human, but, like, it was hidden in his, Christ was hidden in his humanity, that he wasn't fully God, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, St. Cyril of Alexander, Aunt Alexandria would fought that heresy in the council of saying, no, 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 like, like Jesus is God, like they're one, uh, the Trinity, and so Mary is the God-bearer. And he fought against that so much so that they put him in prison. Think about that. Hot dog. Prison for Mary. Yeah. So it was the Council of Ephesus in 431. Um, So, 
And it almost sounds foreign to our ears just because in the cultural climate we live in, to care that much about doctrine seems unusual to us, you know, um, both in the culture and in the church, <coughs> that we would push something so hard that we'd willing to go to prison for it and fight for it. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. Yeah. No, think about up. this for a minute, though. Like, he was willing, so presiding at the Pope's representative at the Council of Ephesus in 431. So we think about this, like in the history of the church, like people really went to bat and fought over the right dogma, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which, orthodoxy, right? Just right teaching. Um, and just really ironing that out. And you see that even in the, in the first century church of the apostles really kind of, you know, fighting out and, you know, just saying, what is the truth? What is, you know, God's, God's truth? Like, let's, let's, let's figure it out, iron it out. You know, at the Council of Ephesus, Cyril condemned this teaching by, uh, of Nestorianism and proclaimed Mary truly the God-bearer, the mother of one person who is truly God and truly human. In the confusion that followed, Cyril was disposed and imprisoned for three months for doing that. Well, I mean, look at the New Testament. You'll see Peter and Paul having very stern words for those that pervert the teaching of the church. You know, the letters were written to those that are faithful, and they often refer to people that were spreading heresy at the time, and not nice words, you know, <laughs> and like, don't listen to them. Their, their destruction is like, they're condemned to hell if they don't change, right? And the early church fathers took up that banner of protecting the dogma of, of Christ because if we don't know who Christ really is, then we can't have an authentic encounter with him or understand our encounter with him. And the fight over Mary as God-bearer, as Theotokos, was as much about Christ as it was about Mary. Exactly. No, exactly. And it always is. And when those that, that love those of us that love Our Lady and want to promote Our Lady, we're promoting Christ and people's encounter with Christ that they would understand it, because none of us encounter Christ without Mary. None of us. And so to, pr to propose an, a Christian experience that's not Marian is not a Christian experience. It's not Christ. It's not how we receive him. Now, we come to understand that experience more and more and more, but, you know, this fight at the Council of Ephesus was a fight over salvation, not just dogma, because dogma brings us an awareness of the salvation that's offered to us. Right. It's very important. Yeah. No, and you're right. Like, this was so much bigger, you know, than just the the theology of Mary. It was, it was about, you know, who is Christ and, you know, Christ being the, you know, the God-bearer, the, you know, one with God, you know, the, and going back to the teachings on the Trinity. So just, you know, really fighting that out. And, you know, obviously, I think a lot of times we can be so rule-based, you know, and, and hard on people who don't get teaching right. But at the end of the day, like, it's, it's the truth that sets us free. And we talked about this last week a little bit, Adam, and, and it, it's not about just following the rules, but it's about understanding that truth as a real reality, as a relationship with God, you know? So the more and more we understand the truth of Christ, the more we're set free, right? The more we understand the truth of Mary, of God, we're set free to live fully who we are. And so these teachings are important because it, it, it's God's way of setting us free as humans to live who he's fully created us to be, right? And I don't know, we live in a world I, more than ever right now where there's a lot of heresy. There's 
there's a lot of just like it's it's not even like infighting within the church. It's just a culture that's that's non-Christian, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I'm constantly looking for leadership in a sense who, who are willing to go to prison for three months, mm-hmm. you know, for for just saying what's true. I don't know. Well, I think willing to go to prison, but also willing to let those under their care go to prison. I think that's the. I think we have bishops and priests and deacons and lay people that are willing to do that if they're called upon, but not willing to let it happen to the flock. And I think that's one of the differences we might see between the early church and this church is, you know, going to prison for Jesus is a good thing and not something to be risk management away. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I say that a little tongue in cheek in a sense of at the same time, I'm like really diving into the book of Acts, the early church, you know, so you're talking about like, you know, 400 years later, uh, St. Cyril's having this experience. I'm thinking that there's a sense of this boldness that I think our culture needs, but we're so shamed as Christians for even speaking any truth. You know, we're, no. we're bullied, you know, this the advent of social media and internet. And even if it's truth and love to help someone to be set free, we're shamed because, you know, people think our intentions are bad for doing that. And it's it's right. really just this weird, weird space to be in, and I haven't figured it out at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, concretely, like, let's take um, a particular law, let's say, on religious freedom, right? We would say, oh, the goal of the church would be to help make sure that law, you know, if there's a law threatening religious freedom, that we should be engaged in that fight. That's where the fight is, that we get that law not passed because that would affect our church's work and this and that. But if you look at the early church, like St. Stephen and others and St. Cyril, you know, the message is do what you will, government or whatever. This is the truth, right? Do to us what you will. We're not going to stop proclaiming Jesus Christ. Like that was the message of Peter and John and those that were arrested. Do what you will, world, to us. We will not stop proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And for people like Cyril, it was even to the point of saying, do what you will, other priests, other bishops, um, I will not stop proclaiming the truth. And a lot of those early church fathers had to experience that exile or imprisonment and from the church, not from the world around them. That was the, the terrible thing, right? Mm. So we live in a time where I think all of us can gut check ourselves. You know, the world is going to be the world, and sinfulness in the church is going to be the sinfulness of the church. Will it cause us to stop proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ or not? And all of us have that decision to make. Am I going to proclaim Jesus, whatever the world does, and whatever the sin, sinfulness in the church does? Yeah, because I think I think the reality is, I mean, if we're being honest, is that like for our state, for our situation, like the church will exist without the United States of America. It has, mm-hmm. and it always will, with with or without the country that we're in, and. I think we see the fallout of not proclaiming and fighting for the truth or not even that, like the, the fallout of not agreeing on what the truth is. You see it even as recent as a hundred years ago when, you know, we fought about contraception and things like that. And as, as non-Catholic churches began to accept the, the doctrine of contraception and that it was okay, we see so much division amongst their own flocks and in tens of thousands of more denominations popping up and that all can't agree on who God is and who Jesus is and what's the path to salvation. And that's disturbing. And that is not the way it, it ought to be, right? We know that God is order and unity, and that's not. That's the exact opposite. Yeah. And but, this division. And the spiritual attack, I think, with the enemy is, the it's it's a, you know, it's that Christians would live in fear of mm-hmm. speaking the truth. You know, so if, if I'm at a conference or if I'm just anywhere and someone has their phone out, 
right? And, and, us, and us say, God is love. And he created us out of love, right? But the wages of sin are death. And if you choose sin, you're going to hell. And that's a horrible place. And someone shoots that video and just, you know, just cuts it down to you are going to hell and puts that out there. <laughs> what happens? Right. And they just say, this is what Paul George says. You're all going to hell. Right. Yeah. And then, and then it just it spins out of control. They smash you. You're done. You're reputation, Whatever the case may be. I don't know. And I'm like, it's not fully the context of what I said, you know? Right. Because uh, in full context, you get the fact of like what I was saying. So it's just an interesting space. And I do think, you know, a lot of the, you know, leaders in the church have experienced that sort of, you know, spin on what they've said or what they meant. Totally. Even the Pope has, oh, you yeah. know, and it it just causes so much confusion. But But the enemy has a hold of, I'm convinced, the enemy has a hold of, you know, social media and the internet. Like, it's just, there's, I don't know if there's a win there. You know? A lot of our leaders see signs of hope in our families that choose to be quote unquote countercultural, like that choose to say, we're going to be faithful to Jesus no matter what the culture does, no matter, even, you know, if we're, our particular Catholic community isn't the strongest or our faith, you know, our family is going to be a faithful Catholic family. This gives a lot of hope to our, our leaders. Because I think this really is the zone of, of commitment that we need as, as Christians is in our own families, that we would be Christians first. And sometimes it's easier to be fired up about a doctrine than to imitate Jesus in the way we treat one another. And, that, and the home is where that really plays itself out. Like, am I going to be the type of Catholic who loves the theology, philosophy discussions, but treats my wife badly, uh, treats my children badly, you know? Because that witness is useless, and the doctrine that I claim to believe has not actually penetrated my life, and therefore I'm actually with the enemy <laughs> doing damage, not fighting the enemy. Um, so, I, you know, that home, I think, is that specific location, like this, this doctrine of Mary, God-bearer. How does this doctrine influence my home life? That's like the first question every Christian should ask themselves. Mm. What does it matter to me that Mary bore God and continues to bear God. She is the God-bearer. Is that reflected in our home life or not? How does that affect the way I act and treat each other in the home? Mm, that seems like it. That's, that's a good thing to even pray with. I mean, definitely a good thing to pray with, but like, am I being Jesus at home first? Have I figured that out? Like, and if I'm not, I should really wrestle with that. Spend a lot of time wrestling with that before I spend a lot of time doing you know, even evangelizing outside of the home. Like it should be a lot of, I mean, you should always evangelize outside of the home, I suppose. But I mean, that should, I guess that should be the first thought or first thing I wrestle with is like, am I being Jesus at home today? And am I being Jesus at home this afternoon and this morning? And have I, have I been patient and kind and gentle with my wife and my kids, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Well, St. Cyril of Alexandria um, went to bat for a very important teaching that we hold today that that because of that we were set free to know fully who Christ is right if there mm. was still confusion around that we would have less freedom of fully knowing who Christ is we're we're in a, a time in the church right now where there needs to be clarity on some of the teachings that they're already there uh, what the church teaches uh, that will set people free 
but there needs to be some real clarity because the culture is hacking away a lot at the teachings on life, mm-hmm. you know, the teachings on death, the teachings on what it means to be pro-life, the teachings on sexuality um, and um, gender and just all those things that when spoken in truth and love set the person free to be fully who God created them to be. And I don't know a person who doesn't desire deep in their heart to be fully who God created them to be. But a lot of times people don't want to hear it because it, it the truth hurts a little bit, you know, and the correction hurts. So when you get canceled, if you say the truth, I mean, for example, every June in America for the foreseeable future, we're going to have this issue where some of us are going to promote teaching that is contrary to the church about who human beings are. The church doesn't teach that human beings are gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, all those things. The church teaches that persons are persons created by God and that God calls them to eternal destiny where no one's married, no one's in sexual relationships. Like and that's everyone has dignity. And everyone has dignity. Like That is the calling of every person. In the meantime, God does call someone to marriage, to, to promote the human race, to procreate and to spread the gospel, but he doesn't call everyone to marriage. Right? Like, that is the truth the church teaches. And it doesn't look as people as you're a gay person or you're a bisexual person or you're a transgender person. You're a person loved by God. And so every June we're going to have our our fellow parishioners, our fellow Catholics, like, succumb to this cultural movement and promote on social media and other things this idea that it is hateful to proclaim the gospel. And uh, this is a scandal. This is a big scandal. And... Um, this is the type of church and world we live in. But look, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to preach the gospel. And if, if they persecute you, rejoice. You will be blessed in the kingdom of heaven. Canceling is the modern imprisonment. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting... Man, I, I heard a really interesting insight on social media, and it ties into this, I think, is that it's like a prolonged adolescence. Like when you were in high school, you had to worry about your appearance and the way you acted and the way you behaved to a fault you know like you it's you were concerned with what people thought or else you didn't fit in you didn't get to go to these certain parties and whatever you know and then and then you graduated high school and you went to work or you went to high school uh, you went to college whatever you did and all of a sudden like the amount of influence your peers had diminished significantly like your your workers had their own families your co-workers had their own families or your college classmates had other things they were worrying about and you could find a niche group that you wanted to fit in or whatever, you know? And so your your appearance, your behavior and everything didn't stick with you. But with social media and people are invited into your life, then you're always worried about what people think and if they think you are who you're supposed to be, if that makes sense. Like you, you, you have the beliefs that align with theirs and you have these opinions that align with theirs. And so peer pressure has been taken to a whole nother level. You know, you're no longer, people are no longer becoming adults and then figuring out who they are and and who they want to be. They're now influenced forever. I've never experienced like just I haven't hatred. I, I'm dis- disconnected enough. The way that I've experienced just for not agreeing with someone. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Like I, I didn't even tell you. I didn't even tell you what I thought. I just said I don't agree with what you're saying. I just I love you but I don't agree with you. And just like just sheer like whoa. You know <laughs> I I don't I hate you. Like what? You can't do that. Like I'm just like no. I, I love you. I just don't. I don't. I just don't agree. Like can we? 
can we just not agree and still love each other? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, why do we have to, if we don't agree, we have to hate each other. And cause that's never what Christ would call me to do. Like I can not agree and love someone just as much as I love someone who I agree totally with. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us to love those who don't agree with us, right? To love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Like we should have intense love for folks. And so that's when I know, like, when there's that hatred and that 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 just that that um, that fuming, it's like, man, what that person needs more than anything is just to experience the love of Jesus, not yeah. to agree with me. Yeah, and I've I've noticed actually I've noticed. I've had those conversations that are hot button conversations with people in person, one-on-one or one-on-two or just small, small group conversations with people that don't agree with me. And I suppose if I said the things I said in that conversation online, I might get comments from them, like very hateful comments, you know, but in person it's different. Like oh, yeah. when you're encountering a person, the same is true with Christ. Like when you're encountering the person of Christ, you, it's almost impossible to hate him. I mean, you can, if you have enough maliciousness and, and, stoniness in your heart you know you can encounter him and whatever but i've I've noticed in college i had these conversations often uh just trying to understand where they were coming from and hopefully they could understand where i'm coming from and i've noticed a lot more patience and kindness and maybe they're afraid to confront in the same way that we're all afraid to confront people about their beliefs but um i think i think once you get off of social media and you you have these conversations real conversations in person instead of like building up the hatred on social media in your own heart and feeling like people hate you in your own heart. I think that, I think it changes things. Well, we can't let the enemy control the narrative. And I think I would encourage us all to not fall into the trap of responding to this with either thinking it used to be so much better. Right. Or how do we turn these, this around? How do we turn the culture around? The Christian view is the, the devil rules the world. Mm. <laughs> the devil said to Jesus in the desert, he said, all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to me, and I can give them to you if you worship me, right? We hear in Revelation how the ruler of this world will finally be cast out. The world belongs to the devil. It was never okay. After, after we left the garden, after we sinned, it became not okay. Cyril was being imprisoned by the church. The three hundreds, right? <laughs> like, it's not like we started out so positive on yeah. the show. <laughs> now we're like doom and gloom. We that. Well, yep. The world That's is the not. Good news, though. It, the world is hostile to the gospel. It's always been like that, and mm. it will always be like that. And then two, you're not going to write this ship. The world will end hostile to the gospel someday. Yeah. That's yeah, how yeah. God's going to write it. So what do we do? I'm not saying this for gloom and doom. I'm saying, what is the goal? To preach Jesus Christ anyway, and the world's going to do what it's going to do. Get off of social media if you don't want to be on there and put your family susceptible to the attacks. Just yeah, get off. Yeah. But preach the gospel in person how it's been preached for 2,000 years, and the world's going to do what it's going to do. Some of us will go to prison. Some of us will be canceled. Some of us will be killed. Praise God. We'll preach anyway. All right. Amen to that. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
Welcome back to the show. Thanks again for listening in. I've got a full house, Uncle Chad, uh, Deacon Adam, uh, Paul George in studio today. So thanks for being a part of the show. We start out so positive and then we just get so deep and into it. Well, it's a good balance show. We had the whale discussion. Yeah. And then <laughs> we're the all going to jail. Is, is for the gospel. gospel the hospital. Gos- hostile to the gospel. <laughs> so prepare your prison bag. Look, God loves us all, man. And look, and the thing about being Christian is that if we live with a vision of hope and love and joy, it it's going to create around us, you know, people who will experience the Lord. So we can't live in fear. And, you know, certainly, you know, uh, God just wants to use us. So, so we don't have all the answers. No. You know, but you're right. Like the culture is always going to be like this and hostile to God, and we just have to live in freedom despite that. We can't let the culture dictate who we are. We just have to live in freedom no matter what. All right, so let's get to our six-pack of questions. We're always prepared for this, always. Question number one. So you asked us what animal we'd want to be swallowed by, Mm -hmm. but you didn't answer. So what animal would you want to be swallowed by? Let's let's raise the ante on this. If you had to live in that animal for three days, like Jonah. Ooh, inside for mm-hmm. three days. Yeah. So I guess three days, I wouldn't actually, a land animal, I think it would get so hot. So I'm thinking of Ace Venturi came out all sweaty and gooey. He sure did. Um, <clears throat> so I would think of water. Have you ever heard of noodling with catfish? These huge catfish and you stick their, you oh. you fish for them by sticking your arm. I've it, never heard of that. You got to look it up. You stick your arm in their mouth and you pull them out and they're these huge catfish. So like you hold the bait in your hand and wait for the fish to yeah. swallow your... They, they like kind of like hover like under logs and you and you kind of reach in, you fill them and then you put your hand in and then and then they kind of swallow your arm and then you pick them up. Oh my goodness. Now catfish don't have like sharp teeth so it's just kind of... It's called noodling. You got to look it up. But apparently like in deep water lakes there's apparently really huge catfish. You can't noodle those because you can't stand up and like put your arm... So I would think a catfish, because it's fresh water. I don't like salt water. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be cooler down there mm-hmm. in, for three days than in, like, a the belly of, like, a cow. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so I think a big catfish. And they don't have sharp teeth. All right. And then I figured if I got stuck, I have a knife, cut the belly open, and I'd just flop out the bottom, swim up to the top. That would be a pretty big catfish. That would be a big You're catfish. Like what, 6'2"? Six, I'm 6'4". Six, 6'4". Four. <laughs> six, four. It'd have to be a, you know, at least a 6'5 catfish. <laughs> wow. That'd be smushed be in there. there. Yeah, you ever yeah. seen the videos of people reeling up those big groupers? Yeah. They're like massive. I mean, they're, yeah. they're like four times your size. Anyway, uh, question two. That's where we're at, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you had to, uh, so we talked a lot about prison. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> we talked some about prison, not a lot. We talked a whole bunch about prison. <laughs> today like 45 minutes worth um <laughs> if you had to go down swinging before going to prison what would you want to go down swinging for yeah i think it would be um i think it'd be speeding <laughs> yeah speeding. i think like if you just said go I, w- I would hit i-49 and drive like 200 miles an hour get pulled over and be like okay i'm no going kid. to jail no kidding what'd you go to jail for speeding like that's how not fast? so bad yeah but like super fast <laughs> All yeah. right. So, like, your prison buddies are like, well, that's not that bad. And you're like, no, wait. You don't know how fast I went. <laughs> yeah. Really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just all drive the speed limit. But what? if it was something world. for Paul's the gospel, <laughs> something for the gospel, I, I guess it would be just, I don't know, like preaching. And they're just like, you can't, you can't be here. 
But uh, while I'm here. But while I'm here, I'm speeding. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, maybe that was not a good question. Question number three. <clears throat> so we talked about St. Christina Mirabilis, who apparently went to hell, purgatory, and heaven. The marvelous. Um, what's the closest to hell you've been in life? <laughs> and describe that to me. Like like a living hell. Golly. <laughs> now, this is a light question, so it doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what time period, like, would you say was your hell time period? Oh, Lord. Well, <clears throat> summer in Phoenix is really feels like could be hell. And people who live out there would know. Like, it gets so hot. Like, your flip-flops, if you stand on the concrete too long, can start to melt a little bit. And that's, wow. no, that's no lie. Hmm. So there were times like you're just like, it's summer, it's sunny, it's so hot that I'm inside, and I, can't, I don't want to even, like, experience the outside. That's the physical heat. Right. Emotionally, I would say probably, mm, I don't know, like uh, probably waiting in line at some carnival with kids. <laughs> that thinking, is this rough. is hell. This literally like hell would be like waiting in a line for a ride for an hour with screaming kids. And then you get there and the ride's closed. Yes. And it's just like, welcome to hell. Purgatory, the ride's open. It's like you're waiting, and then you get to enjoy the ride. Right. But hell, it's like always yeah. closed. Yeah. Oh, man, I don't know. Yeah. A line that doesn't lead to anything. That's It's miserable. a long line, and then... It's the, the DMV, the basically. <laughs> the DMV. The and DMV you don't even get to do anything fun at the end of the line. <laughs> hell on earth. You're going to take a picture that you're not prepared for. Yeah, when you go to the DMV, it's the <laughs> sign that says, Welcome to hell on earth. <laughs> Gosh, what else did we talk about today? Question number four. Um... I don't think I'm ready. For You're this. stuck. I am stuck. Question number four. Um, so we talked about Mary and Jesus and their relationship. Um, what was your kind of Marian awakening? Because I'm obviously all Christianity is Marian, but there is a moment where we start to realize that there's a unique relationship between Christ and Mary, and we start to appreciate it. So what was kind of your awakening to that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really grow up knowing much about Mary or even, you know, you prayed the rosary, but you didn't really know the meaning of it. So, like, really understanding Mary and her personhood and her role wasn't really till I was an adult. I did a, a 30-day devotion to Mary, and that really kind of helped me unpack the theology and understanding of who she was. And from there, I began to pray more to Mary for places in my heart and life that needed healing, you know, that, that she would help direct me to Christ. And she played a crucial role as a mother in in sort of helping me navigate through some of those, you know, tough areas of, of healing or brokenness or sin. And it's been awesome. Like like that, I really kind of shifted from like into like like falling in love with Mary. Like you can you can really kind of have this this real motherly relationship. And so but that didn't that didn't happen until my adult life. So that's awesome. So yeah, I I got a question. It's question five. Okay. Whoa. So for you, Adam, as an ordained person, how does Mary play a role in your life as an ordained minister? Well, in this past year, my first year as a deacon, it's definitely been as um, the model disciple. Mm-hmm. So like when I when I do Lexio Divina with the Gospels, because as a deacon, we're we're called to have this particular relationship with the gospel that we proclaim, right? So I've taken that to heart this past year, and and that's been the main subject matter of my prayer. 
And every time I turned to Mary as the model of what I was just, like whatever Jesus just said I need and I don't have, or whatever Jesus is calling me to in this particular gospel, Mary has a thousand percent, right? Like she's the faithful disciple. And so I've been able to have this conversation with her about that each time I do Lexio. That's been very meaningful to me and very helpful to me because she really does become that model that as a deacon, now she's not a deacon or a deaconess, and neither was Christ in a certain way, but he took the form of a deacon, the form of a slave, and Mary did take the form of a deacon in that I am the handmaid, the slave, the servant of the Lord, right? So I see in her the model of my spiritual life, but also my diaconate. So that's been very meaningful to me, yeah. Mm, That's awesome. Question six, Paul, you've been in ministry a long time. Do you have any stories about uh, conversion that you witnessed or uh, kids that you really thought were too far gone and yeah, so keeping on the Marian theme, I have a lot of stories of conversion, tons. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, tons. But if we're sticking to the Marian theme, I actually had a young adult I was praying with who was extremely addicted, has sexual uh, addiction to pornography, uh, and had a healing experience with Mary hmm. um, and was healed of his sexual addiction you know, through this process of prayer and contemplation, praying with Mary and feeling like the presence of Mary leading him to Christ and the love of a mother in the shame of his sexual sin, it was powerful, wow. you know. Uh, and so Mary can obviously play plays a crucial role in our healing because she brings us to who? The healer, the divine physician, Christ himself. And that's where we experience the healing. And so... But I saw it firsthand, just kind of helping direct his prayer and like where he was going. And it was, that was kind of one of my first eye-opening experiences. Like, whoa, that's, that was real. So anyway, great show. Thanks everyone for listening in. It's kind of, we were, we covered everything today. So uh, feel free to share the show and podcast, uh, however it may be. And thanks for everyone for being a part of the show here in Acadiana. And we'll be back next week. God bless you.